You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season eight, episode eight, on belonging and becoming. Okay, my friends, this is your host, Stephen Roach. And in this episode, I'm going rogue. I'm going solo. And I'm going to share some thoughts that I've been meditating on recently on belonging and becoming. So pull up a chair, grab your coffee, and get ready to go on a little journey with me. And for our friends and patrons, once you've listened, send me a note in the collective. I'd love to hear your thoughts on these ideas and take this conversation even further. And for any of our new listeners, welcome to the crew. You can join our creative collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. This is my episode on belonging and becoming. Over the past several years, working as a creative coach, talking with artists and leading the Breath in the Clay creative arts movement, I've come to recognize three primary longings that exist at the heart of most artists. It seems true in my experience that most artists carry a need to belong, a need to be known, and a need to make a significant contribution. By the need to belong, I mean, the artist carries a need to have a place we can call home, a place to identify with others, a community of like-minded people with similar stories and experiences as our own, a safe place where we can figuratively, and perhaps these days literally, take off our masks and be received for who we are, as we are. By the need to be known, I mean the need for our experience and our perspective to be heard, witnessed, understood, celebrated, or in the least, to be validated. We have a need to break through our own isolation and be distinguished for the unique, unrepeatable person we are. And thirdly, I've recognized that artists have a need to make a significant contribution, one that transcends pragmatism and touches the world on a deeply spiritual or emotional level. Artists have a deep-seated need for our work to matter, to know that what we pour our time and resources into leaves a lasting effect or means something to someone else besides ourselves. This doesn't imply that artists have a need to be famous or that our work can't be satisfying solely by the act of making. Andy Warhol says it will get our 15 minutes of fame, so we can let that rest and move on. But what I mean by artists having the need to make a significant contribution is that at the heart of the artist and at the heart of creating, we want our work to matter. We have a sense that our work does matter or that it is intended to carry meaning beyond ourselves, and yet we often wrestle with the fear that it doesn't or that it won't. In this episode, I wanna talk with you about this first longing, the need to belong. Perhaps because this year has isolated so many of us and thrust us into intense bouts of loneliness or confusion or wondering how to maintain community in the midst of social restrictions. And because many of my listeners would either identify as Christian or maybe some as post-Christian or at least as one interested in the spiritual life as it pertains to the artistic experience. 
I want to talk about how this need to belong plays out in the context of faith communities. I know many artists who listen to this podcast have been greatly supported by faith communities in their work, while others, unfortunately, have been deeply wounded by the same. So that our strange little pocket of people, our collective of makers and mystics who share a common need to interact in a context of faith and art, also share a unique set of challenges that for some have led to acquiring a significant platform, while for others, disenfranchisement, and in some cases, the complete erosion of faith or spiritual community altogether. Many of you have communicated to me how Makers and Mystics has served as a spiritual community for you, especially during this difficult year 2020, where community gatherings are sparse and awkward. This is an honor I don't take lightly, and I'm grateful to have played a small part in helping you find a place to belong, a place to keep your sanity, or at least a place to go nuts in good company. One of the growing problems of our society that started long before, but has been agitated by the COVID-19 pandemic, is isolationism, or the sense of loneliness and lack of meaningful social connections. Too much isolationism leads to individuals feeling a decreasing sense of responsibility or belonging to a group or a family. Therefore, everything from littering to mass shootings could be rooted in the spiritual deficiency of belonging. In the same way, isolationism splits off to tribalism and sectarianism, creating toxic attachments to a group or a mob mentality that erodes our ability to think as individuals. In times past, community was built primarily along the lines of family or locality, the shared memories and hopes of a people group who touched and cultivated the same earth beneath their feet. Whereas today, in our pluralistic technological society, it is more common to find ourselves without roots, without common stories or hopes, living apart from the stability of tradition or the certainty of shared beliefs. Our virtual connections can serve to expand our awareness and create a larger space for inclusion. But it also seems true that community has become a delicate and sometimes fragile enterprise to conduct. Maybe it's always been that way, but there seems in our modern times more reason to be offended than befriended, and some find more reason to call out than to call in. There's a lurking suspicion beneath the surface for some about what others think or believe concerning the issues that matter to us most. Perhaps these fears or suspicions are built upon previous hurts or media projections, but whatever the case, it makes community all the more precious and worth nurturing when we find it. When fear and suspicion about others who may see or believe differently than ourselves takes root, it leads to drawing stark territorial markings around who is in and who is out. The sectarianism is not only within political or social realms, but unfortunately and perhaps especially within circles of faith. But the beauty of the artist is the ability to walk through walls and enter rooms without knocking. The beauty of the artist is to think as an individual and to combat propaganda and uniformity. The artist doesn't need permission from the party line or invitation to break social protocol for the sake of revealing truth or exploring a creative hunch. 
The artist cannot pander to popular opinion and still create with a clear conscience. The artist must remain free to cross borders and come and go as the cloud, the fire, or the wind so moves the heart. And yet this ability can challenge our sense of belonging because some art is provocative and uncomfortable. And we human creatures like to be comfortable. We like certainty sometimes more than truth. So then the question becomes, upon what do we build our communal foundations? And what fosters our sense of belonging? Is it doctrinal assent? Is it ethnic or economic, political or sexual identification? Is it the comfort of knowing we share the same beliefs, backgrounds, or viewpoints as those around us? Religious communities, whether explicitly stated or not, are built upon some measure of doctrinal assent. The core tenets of a faith practice constitute the shape and scope of the culture and congregation. And there's nothing criminal about building community or establishing a particular subculture upon shared values or shared interests. We all do this from our chosen circle of friends to the organizations and institutions we align ourselves with. It's natural to desire to be with others with whom we identify. We find the affirmation and a much-needed sense of camaraderie with those who see from a similar perspective as our own and who hold mutual aims. The distinctions and set-apartness of a group is how identity is formed. Limitation and structure is the basis of design. So not all exclusivity is to be disdained, nor should it be interpreted as violence against those on the outside. But this leads to the greater question of how do we relate to those who carry contrary convictions to our own? Are we afraid of being tainted by those who see the world or live differently than ourselves? Are we compelled to campaign and convert those who don't see as we see? Or can we make room to receive the gift of the other without diminishing the beauty and integrity of our own persuasions? I'm reminded of Jesus' parable the one we call the Good Samaritan. When the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Author Amy Jill Levine tells us that to ask who is my neighbor is a polite way of asking who is not my neighbor or who does not deserve my love or whose lack of food or shelter can I ignore or whom can I hate? And the answer Jesus gives is no one. And we can't forget the picture painted in Psalm 23 that the Lord prepares a table in the presence of enemies. Perhaps we have envisioned this as a placid banquet shared by family or friends while an army of enemies surrounds the table with drawn swords, unable to enact their violent will as we feast. But what if instead the image is one where enemies and friends alike dine at the same table? Is this not what occurred at the Last Supper where even Judas was present for the songs and shared bread? The artist is given not only to transport us through beauty and ecstasy, but also to challenge us, sometimes to disturb and confound us, even make us uncomfortable by exposing parts of reality that need healing or attention. And yes, the work of the artist is given to reveal hidden or alternative perspectives not previously considered. So what if the foundations of our belonging were based more on listening and coming to a shared table rather than shared belief? 
What if shared belief comes as a result of a shared table, of mutual respect? In other words, what if belonging precedes believing and the former gives place to the latter? And this is not to suggest that we cannot hold to certain absolutes that give identity to a community or form the narratives we live by. But what if our absolutes were treated as pillars instead of walls? What if our absolutes upheld the structure but did not inhibit free movement within a space? I suppose then the artist would have to find a new ability. Instead of walking through walls, the artist would sculpt the air and draw invisible doors through which we could all walk into new and open spaces. What if we weren't threatened by differences, but saw that even those things which do not reflect our own light serve by contrast to remind us of the shape of our own convictions? As artists of faith, creating in today's factious climate, we have an opportunity to create according to an altogether higher standard than the dualism of our culture's divided norm. We can create from a third space, one not confined by institutionalism, and yet one not untethered from a deep and abiding love for truth. I love the story in the book of Joshua when the angel of the Lord shows up carrying a sword in its hand. Joshua asks the angel, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel replies, no. And then he goes on to say, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. So right here in the midst of the tension, in the midst of the duality and the divide, this too is holy ground, worthy of removing our shoes worthy of seeing, as the artist Imogen Heap worded it, beauty within the breakdown. And deeper than choosing sides or mistaking true belonging for compliance, we can live and create from a higher order, an order carved from chaos and reminding us, I am accepted in the beloved. When belonging precedes believing, transformation occurs from the inside out. We become what we behold. And rather than asking questions of who is in and who is out, we can ask the question of which direction are we headed? Are we headed toward love or away from love? When belonging precedes believing, we give space for transformation to begin from the inside out rather than being imposed upon us from the outside in. We surrender to the shape of love instead of squeezing ourselves to fit the mold of conformity. One of the beautiful characteristics of what Paul called the mystical body of Christ is that when it functions in health, it carries the ability to showcase unity within diversity. Communities of faith carry a potential to bring people together who otherwise would not find a place of deep connection. The true communion of saints goes well beyond culture, race, familial ties, and political affiliations. In fact, the intended unity among believers extends beyond gender, social status, and titles. Again, Paul said in his letter to the Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When people gather together within the person of Jesus, secondary identifications are curbed beneath the unifying power of the Spirit. 
Jesus exemplifies this welcoming and beautiful diversity by his choice of friends and the people he hung out with in the gospel stories. His inner circle included a tax collector and a zealot. This would be the equivalent of inviting a conservative politician and an anarchist to run together in the same crew. Jesus chose a working-class fisherman to dine with him at the house of the wealthy. He included women when it wasn't culturally acceptable to do so, and he elevated those of low social status to places of honor. He associated with pariahs and social outcasts and gave charge of his finances to a known thief instead of the tax collector who handled money every day. Jesus brings together the most unlikely friendships and creates a sense of belonging that transcends our temporal associations. He reminds us that there is greater unity among us than the differences that divide us. Cultivating friendships with those who look, live, or believe differently than ourselves may take conscious effort. It may feel counterintuitive and require self-control, humility, dropping stereotypes, and listening before speaking. But what requires conscious effort initially often becomes second nature with practice, like driving a car or running scales on an instrument. We have much to learn from those who don't hold the same persuasions as our own. And if our faith is so brittle that it must be upheld by the yes and amen of our congregant peers, but it doesn't stand in the broader context, how then can such a faith be strong enough to uphold the sun and stars? I'll leave you with a scene to consider from the wonderful Wizard of Oz that depicts the danger of uniformity over cultivating true belonging. When Dorothy and her diverse group of friends, a tin man, a scarecrow, and a lion, reached the Emerald City, a little green man with green clothes and a large green box greets them at the gate. But before they are allowed to enter, they are each prescribed a pair of green spectacles which are locked on their eyes. This green gatekeeper is the only one in the entire city who holds the key to their spectacles. Everyone was prescribed to see through the same lens. Their vision was locked in place and only the gatekeeper held the key. I don't know about you, but I could never settle to see the world through such a monochrome lens, nor to give the key to my own vision to cultural gatekeepers who warned that without their spectacles, the glory of the city would be blinding. I'll take my chances. I find it to be the gift of the artist to paint the world in hues and forms too expansive to tame or to lock in place. As artists on this journey of faith, as seekers of truth, chasers of beauty and wonder, as the beloved, as followers of Jesus, we stand as shapeshifters and bridge builders. We stand on the edges, yet we are anchored in the center of heaven. So my hope would be that you find yourself in a safe place to be in process, that you would find yourself in a safe place to have more questions than answers, and that you would find yourself in a safe place to be the individual you were designed to be, and that you would find yourself in a safe place to believe in community again, that you would find yourself among a fellowship of seekers, sojourners, lovers, doubters, worshipers, artists, mothers and fathers, craftsmen and creatives, movers and shakers, tongue talkers and Quakers, business owners and bakers, all who share a similar conviction that art and faith 
are intrinsically interwoven and essential to our human experience. And I, for one, am not here to tell you what to believe, but to bear witness to what we have seen. Because you and I are here to make space for encounter. Because all creativity begins with encounter. Creativity begins and ends in that elusive posture of faith, in curiosity, in permission to play and to explore without fear, to consider, to circle around, to chew the cud and spit out the bones. You and I are here to abide in love and to create from the presence and promise from above. You and I are here to extend belonging, a seat at the table, because we too now belong, accepted in the beloved, and we cannot be plucked from the divine hand. So whether you work or play or nurture children or compose melodies or serve the sick or the poor, everything done in love becomes art. And art, like faith, draws us to behold the greater spectacle, reminding us the world is a window and the universe is waiting for us to take flight. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics and leave us a review on iTunes. You can visit our official website at makersandmystics.com where you can join our creative collective and find tickets to The Breath in the Clay 2021. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. Music